Well, good morning, church. I'm going to turn my energy on. I'm fired up. It's always on. So I, uh, I'm, I'm uh, in some theology classes uh, in the evenings, and I'm reading a lot of books. And yesterday I was in an all-day class, and there was a pastor that started in the morning, and I loved his quick share when he talked about the fact that he's ADHD and he says at 525 in the morning I wake up and I talk about this fast and I get going and my wife can't stand it and I'm sitting there and I'm in the camera I'm like double thumbing I'm like right here dude that's totally me you know and he's like I go from 530 in the morning to 11 o'clock and then at 1101 my head just falls over and I'm unconscious and I was like yeah that's totally what I do um so I thought that was really funny yesterday uh so yeah Today I wanted to talk about the overcoming life. I wanted to talk about some principles and some promises set in place for us in the overcoming life. So I, I had to ask myself this question many times in, in, in my spiritual journey. And we're all on a spiritual journey no matter where you are. If you're in your first week here or you've been called and you served 40 years in front of the pulpit, we're all on a spiritual journey. And we're all seeking some type of higher understanding of God. And I heard something really interesting this weekend. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't this weekend. It was in my classes. It was in a book I actually read by Peter Scazzaro. It was called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a fantastic book. I recommend it to anybody. Um, He mentioned something in there. Are you a 20-year Christian or have you been a one-year Christian 20 times? And I was like, man, that was deep because I could tell you I know a lot of people who are one-year Christians 20 times. I myself have done that and struggled in that part of my journey a few times over where you became a five-year-old Christian and then all of a sudden you went back to the one-year-old Christian because you're like, I've beat myself up. God, I've made so many mistakes. I'm doing, I'm doing it wrong. I don't know what's going on. I, I must not really understand what you want out of me. And so, uh, so I wanted to talk about this overcoming life. I wanted to talk about these promises that God has given to us And I asked myself this question, and I'll ask it to you. Are you living the life of an overcomer, or are you the life of a giver-upper? Have you given up? Have you given up trying to do the things that God wants you to do? Because it feels like sometimes every time I start getting in motion with what I want God to do in my life, it feels like all of a sudden I'm pushing a boulder that's building snow uphill. That's what it feels like when you're trying to get in motion going forward to serve God. That's the difference between what in your mind tells you a 20-year Christian looks like rather than a one-year-old Christian 20 times. Because that's what being the one-year-old Christian 20 times feels like. As soon as you start on the journey, you get to here, it gets hard, and you stop growing. You stop moving forward. And there's a lot of reasons behind it, and it's not necessarily that you're stopping growing. It's that the enemy is coming in and trying to prevent you from going up the hill, and you're not relying on the promises that have been given to you. And you're, not fo- you're focusing somewhere else. The enemy will use the word against you. The enemy will use this Bible against you. When you get set free and realize that all you need to do is trust and believe in Jesus and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead and you'll be saved, when you learn to hold on to that truth and know that Jesus set you free, the enemy is going to use the Bible against you. He's going to be like, but did you commit adultery? But did you do this? He's going to throw the law at you to scare you back into setting you back. Like, oh, no, I'm a sinful man still. He's going to do those kind of things. That's what he does. He sets you up. The enemy will use the word against you. And we got to smash that stuff down. Have you previously, currently, future trip opposition? 
previously, currently, future trip opposition. Opposition that fights you emotionally, spiritually, physically. And are you overcoming this or are you being overcome? I can worry about tomorrow all day long. Right? I can do that. I think we do that as people. We're always worried about tomorrow when tomorrow may not ever come. This is not a restroom story. But if you have a foot in tomorrow and a foot in yesterday, guess what you're doing all over today? I heard somebody tell me that once. If you have a foot in tomorrow and a foot in yesterday, guess what you're doing all over today? There you go. She kept it clean. How about this? When we talk about the overcoming life, you have to remind yourself of the altars that you've spiritually built into your life and your memory. Do you remember I talked about that? When I talked about, I talked about building some altars in your life. I have a few altars in my life that I rely back to when I'm facing opposition. When I'm facing where I ask myself, God, why is this happening? Or why do I feel this way? Or why all of a sudden did things change? I have to go back to something that occurred that I've literally had to remember. And it's best to even write it down. If you write something down that God does in your life, an amazing miracle moment in your life, whatever it is, and you know for certain you have 99.999% is gone and you're at 100% certainty that you know it was God who intervened and did something for you in this situation, write it down on paper. You will not forget it. Put it in your wallet. Laminate it. Take it with you everywhere you go. It says, do, I, do you recall when I recently talked about building altars in your life? Yeah. That was in the Making God First series that I talked about. When we talked about making God first. Let's look at some altars real quick. Do you remember that the Israelites were instructed to celebrate the Passover every year? Why? It was an altar that was built in their heart to remember that God rescued them from slavery out of Egypt. And the Passover lamb, they were to celebrate every year and do this Passover lamb because it represented that the angel of death passed over them. And that angel of death and that Passover lamb was a representation and an image of the Jesus to come, of the upcoming Messiah. The one that you would paint over your heart and the angel of judgment and death and ending up into the second death later, you get to avoid because you have that blood painted over your heart. Jesus instructed us to take the cup and bread in communion to be reminded of his sacrifice for the sins of the world. How his body would be beaten for the punishment of your sin. And his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And you remember this, don't we? We have to remember this. Have you written it down? Have you written it down? It's written in your Bible, but you got to open it. I have to remind myself sometimes of my decision in 1992 when I gave my life to Jesus. I have to go that far back sometimes. I have had to go that far back. I'm like, God, like, did I really? Have you ever done this? 20-year Christian or one-year Christian 20 times. Did I do it right, God? Am I really saved? Because I don't feel that way today. And you get hung up. And guess who's throwing these stones at you? I've already told you in the beginning, we're not going to give them any more credit. That's right. 
Remembering God's grace in my life and specific dates where he revealed himself and his saving grace to me has been a lifesaver, like a, like, a, like, a, like a life preserver that gets tossed out to you in the ocean. So I've been, I've been sober for over 10 years without a drink. And I tell this funny story when I share in Alcoholics Anonymous because they don't like you talking about God. They definitely don't like you talking about Jesus in particular. They don't. You can say God, but when you start talking Jesus, to them it becomes religious and they don't like it. And I've never seen so many arrows come out except there. But you got to be shrewd in how you share it. And so I used to always realize, like, why am I here? What is my purpose for being here? And I finally realized, because I was trying to stop what I was doing so many different ways, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to church on Sunday. But there was no accountability at church on Sunday. Nobody, nobody came up to me at church on Sunday and said, did you drink yesterday? Did you drink last week? Nobody asked you to do those things. So it was like a safe place for you to go, pretend to be spiritual again, and nobody's going to ask you and call you out. So then I would pray. And I looked at it like a guy drowning in the ocean. And the plane comes by, or the helicopter comes by with the rescue crew. They're like, hey, we can save you. He's like, no, God's going to save me. That was me. No, no, no. God's going to save me. And then the, the swimmer comes up to you, and he's like, dude, i got to get you out of the water. You're going to drown. No, no, God's going to save me. Guy drowns. I always tell the story in the first person. I drown. I'm standing in front of God's presence. God, I thought you were going to save me. I did try to save you, dummy. I sent you to AA so that you could get sober and help other people. Right? That was what I had to realize. I had to, I had to, I had to reevaluate what God was doing in my life because I didn't want to see it for what it was. And that was a mountain that God removed out of my life. A mountain. It was a huge mountain. Has God removed mountains in your life? Have you written it down? Do you celebrate it? Do you remember it? Do you think about it often? Because sometimes it takes us to hold on to those principles that occurred in our life in order to be reminded and, and let go of whatever's going on inside of you. Because you're, you're, you're in a spiritual, emotional, and physical battle 24-7. Remember I've told you, the enemy wants to immobilize you. Oh, he believes he's going to heaven. I, I, he's not going to be perished. I want him to just sit in the chair and do nothing. I don't even want him to go to church on Sunday. That guy's going to make it to heaven. Darn it. Immobilize you. Pastor Mark recently encouraged us to make an inventory list of areas in your life that you needed to give to God. Did everybody remember that? What did you write down? Did you make that list? I read some really great, I, I'm sorry. I was taught some really great journaling principles yesterday, and I have to journal for this class that I just took, which was spiritual formations and biblical discipleship. And they gave us a representation of how they want us to journal for a month, and then we've got a report that we did the journaling. And the way that the journaling is written is absolutely life-changing, and we will talk about it in the future. I'll teach on it at some point, and I'll give you guys some journaling ideas that would help you in all these areas I'm talking about, writing these things down. So, so again, Pastor Mark asked you to make this list. Are you choosing to overcome the areas that you wrote down, or are you giving up hope already? It's been a week or two. It's a good question. People don't like the truth questions. We don't. I don't like when I get suggested to do something not do it, and then be asked in a week or two if I did it. <laughs> I don't like that, right? But someone's got someone's to call us out. You know, I have my wife for that. 
<laughs> so today, I want to talk about the promises that God has made to you about an overcoming life. I'm going to read a verse. It's not, in, it's not up there, Mike, because I just added it while I was sitting in my seat because I was, I, just was, I was praying and I'm like, I have to share this before we get into this. Who do you pray to? Who do you pray to? God. Test, test, there we go. I hit the wrong button over here. I could feel it under my thumb if I stopped myself. Who is it that you pray to? You pray to God. That's a great answer. Doesn't God talk about praying in Jesus' name? Doesn't Jesus talk about that? Ask these things in my name. So we've all grown up. We're all, nobody in this room is really older than anybody else. I like to make that analogy. I've always heard, I, I remember being a lot younger, like 20, and having mentors who were in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they'd call you a child. And I'm like, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington are old and gone. You are not old. We are in the same generation. We're walking the earth at the same time, and you have 20 more years life experience over me. You don't have a generational experience of the timeline of history. So we're all on the same page. You learn life experiences as you go, and I suggest you take suggestions from people who have walked the path you're walking because we've done that. But we've all been taught to pray in Jesus' name. I pray in Jesus' name. What does that mean? What does it mean? Having more faith in Jesus. Jesus says, pray in my name because Jesus was given this authority and this power, right? There's a uh, scripture in John 14 where Jesus says, and I prayed this this morning with somebody. Jesus said, you will do the same works that I have done, even greater works. Because I'm going with the Father. And you know, Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine you're missing out on the power that he's telling you that you can do the same works? I just told you what those works were. He said even greater works. What would be greater than raising somebody from the dead? Wow. I can't even put up. My brain cannot put an answer to that. Because the one thing that we all have for certain is that unless Jesus comes and takes us out into the sky, which sometimes I've felt like it's going to happen in our generation. But every generation and every great prophet has said that in the past. I'm not calling myself a prophet. I've just experienced that feeling. That, man, we're at the end. Jesus is probably going to come, especially when we all saw the movie Left Behind, right? We're like, oh, please come, please come. But I want to talk about when we say we're praying to God and you're praying in Jesus' name. And sometimes you're talking to Jesus because you're confused. You're like, am I talking to God? Am I talking to Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit in me? Listen to this. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a second. I want everybody to close their eyes in a second. But I'm going to read something for you. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, 
am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus called us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos. Why? For preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. This is taking place after many people were crucified for talking about Jesus, including Peter's already been crucified at this point. This is post-Peter's crucifixion. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly I heard, a, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast, like Chris does. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Close your eyes. I want you to picture what I'm going to read to you. This is John. John walked with Jesus. Jesus the man. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Messiah who claimed to be the son of God. This is John who saw and knew and had a personal relationship with Jesus who was going to be put on a cross. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the, in the middle of the lampstands was Someone like the Son of Man. Keep your eyes closed. John is describing to you that he hears somebody speaking to him, and when he turns around, he sees someone who looks exactly like Jesus. And he knows Jesus, personally. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw at him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. He knew Jesus. And when he saw this, he fell at his feet as though he was dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. You can open your eyes. That image then said to him, to John, who knew Jesus, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Who claimed to be the first and the last? God. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. In this moment, Jesus is expressing as, a, as, as God that he is God to John. This is post-Jesus crucifixion. This is post-ascension. This is John on the island of Patmos. This is the God that we pray to in heaven right now. You got a picture of who it is? Hopefully it changed who you've been praying to. Now you have an image of who you're speaking to when you're reaching up and you're praying about something. All that power, his face shone shun like all the brilliance of the sun, and out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. You know what that is, right? The word of God. The word of God is sharp as a two-edged sword. Don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. So here he is seeing Jesus, the image of Jesus, but with God's presence saying, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. 
I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and, and the grave. Write down what you've seen, both the things that are happening now and the things that will happen. First time I read that deeply, like I'm trying to get you to express it and feel it, it changed my perception of God, and it changed my perception of who Jesus is post-ascension, after Jesus raised from the grave. Because when I picture that I'm saying things in Jesus' name, I picture humble Jesus with holes in his hands. This same person that I just shared about later talks about those same holes in the hand and has them in that infinite presence. The holes are in the hand of this same person later in Revelation. That's intense. Because when I pray to God, sometimes I'm thinking of just like, I don't have an image. I'm just praying towards the sky. I'm trying to picture what God is or an everlasting presence, but I don't have an image. In this, I have an image of who God and Jesus are one and the Holy Spirit. This is who we pray to. Picture this person who expressed himself to you through his word when you're praying to him. And trust and believe him to yes, no, or maybe your prayer. Remember my yes, no, maybe. Revelation 2.5. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What did you do at first? You gave your life to Christ. You said, you're Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead. It's a simple principle. And then you complicated it. Sometimes church complicated it for you. Oh, I got to get there early. I got to greet. I got to do this. I got to work. I got to work. Church became work. You begin to resent coming to church. You're like, that's too much work. We go through this phases in our development and our spiritual journey. But let's listen to the first promise. I'm going to read the verse, Mike, and go ahead, but don't jump yet. Who has ear, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You all remember the tree of life. You will receive fruit from the tree of life. Fruit from the tree of life. Number one, fruit from the tree of life. Go back to your roots of belief. I like using that word roots, tree of life. Go back to the roots of your belief. Even better, when you go back to the roots of your belief, picture that image of what we just read of who God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are. Picture that. This won't be in, the, in your notes or on the screen, but I'm going to read it. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil, the devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faith, faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. That's a promise. This is a promise for those who are victorious in this world. Crown of life. You will face suffering. Crown of life. You will face suffering, crown of life. Yes. In your bullet points, the next one is crown of life. It's all right. Mike's new back there, and we're multiplying ourselves, amen? We're multiplying ourselves. 
I, I get it. Hey, Mike's doing fantastic. You will face suffering. You must remain faithful. If you do, you will have victory over second death. You've been around long enough reading your Bible. You've jumped into Revelation. You've dabbled around. You've built the fear of the second death. <gasps> oh, I don't want that to happen to me, Lord. Save me. Revelations 2.11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Victorious. We're hearing that word victorious again. This word victorious is very key to where we're going to end today. Your next bullet point is manna hidden in heaven. That's a promise that God's going to give you, manna hidden in heaven. Manna is what he fed to the children of Israel when they were in the desert and they had nothing to eat. And they complained to Moses, what are we going to eat? We're going to starve. We were so much better in Egypt. And the manna came, and they were provided manna six days a week. And if they tried to save the manna over a day, it would go bad. But God showed them who he was by on the sixth day, they could take twice the amount of manna, and it would last through their Sabbath. He's going to give you the manna made in heaven. He's going to put a white stone with a new name. That new name is going to be unique to you. Romans 2.17, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Well, there's 7 billion people on earth right now. I don't know how many of them are going to make it to heaven. But this is in 2021, 7 billion people. That's 7 billion different names as of today, plus all of history dating back to Adam. That's a lot of new names that are really unique. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a language, a heavenly language that is able to give you a name that's only unique to you. Do you pray in the heavenly language? Does God speak through you in heavenly language? Not yet, maybe, sometimes, yes, amen. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Romans 2.17, Mike. To the one who is victorious, I love that word victorious again, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the person who receives it. The next thing that you're going to receive, another promise about being victorious in this life, is that you're going to receive authority. What does authority look like? Obeying. How about authority over sickness? Authority over dominion over evil. Remember when Jesus told those Remember when Jesus told that demon to go into the pigs and disappear and they died and they ran off? Authority. You have authority. Jesus has authority over all heaven and earth, and he wants to give you that authority. Do you use it? Do you know that you have that in you? He promised it to you. He told you you would do the same works as him and even greater. Where is your authority? Hidden in your back pocket? Did you leave it in your car? Is it at home? Or is it waiting for you to decide to try to use next year? Get on that authority. You have it. Start speaking into the mountains of your life and moving them like he talks about. You will have authority over the nations. You will have the same authority as the Son of God. The same authority. Revelations 2, 26 through 29. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over all the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. You ever dropped a pot and broke it? 
Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Next bullet point is you'll be clothed in white. Clothed in white. As white as wool, as white as snow. Their names will never be forgotten. This is a promise that God has given you. Your name will never be forgotten. Do you ever feel forgotten in your daily life? Your name will never be forgotten in a place that makes this place not matter. This life, that job you go to, it's great and it pays your bills, but it doesn't matter in the way that this heavenly existence matters of what's waiting for you ahead. And there, your name will never be forgotten. And the word is never. Never means without end. Revelations 3, 5, the one who is, what's the word? Victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out that name. I will never blot the name out of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Number six, or seven, sorry. Pillars in the temple of God. Bearing God's name. Bearing God's name. Citizenship. These are all promises that have been given to you. Given to you. Given to Racine. Bibi. David. Jimmy. Nicole. Dale. Greg. If I didn't miss, if I didn't call you out, you're still getting your promise. Revelations 3, 11 through 12. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is, my favorite word, victorious. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. God's going to put his name on you, take ownership of you, love you, and make you his own. He's trying to do that with you here. He's done that with you here. He's done that with you here. He wants to have a relationship with you. And it starts here in this life. What happens if we do all that? Will you get to join Christ on his throne? That's what it says. That's another promise. Revelation 3.20. Everybody loves this verse. Revelation 3.20 through 21. 20 and 21. Here I am, exclamation point. You guys hear Chris when he talks with exclamation points? Here I am. He's saying, I'm right here, standing at the door of your heart. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Your God wants you to sit with him on his throne. It says, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Who is victorious in this world? Skip, you can come up. Who is victorious in this world? I'm going to answer that question in just a second. 
Sometimes in Christianity, we get caught up with too many new things about trying to tell ourselves how we're going to grow in our spiritual journey. A little joke in AA is kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. We say keep it simple, stupid in all areas of our life. And sometimes we take something that's so simple, the simple message of salvation, and we complicate it. We complicate it. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I did those things, God, but now I need to add to it to feel worthy. Because we don't feel worthy. I got to add to it now, God, because I don't feel worthy. Because I'm bogged down with this world. I don't feel victorious. I'm a giver-upper, and I don't feel like an overcomer. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That is all you have to do. That is all you have to do. 1 John 1.5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do we have that verse, Mike? There it is. Funny analogy that I want to point out to you here. Who wrote this book? Who wrote this verse? John. The same John. The same John. Hey, I know which button not to push now. The same John who knew Jesus on earth. The same John who later wrote the book of Revelation when he was exiled on the island of Patmos. That same John who coincidentally used the word victorious so many times in Revelation about all these promises uses the same word victorious here. Who is it that overcomes the world? In some other translation it says, who is it that is victorious over the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It is a simple message of salvation. It is a simple path to living a, a life right with God that we've talked about. The worship team's gonna play right now. I'm not gonna ask anybody to come up here and pray for anybody. I'm gonna open this altar right here. This altar is gonna be open. If you wanna come up here and kneel at the altar and pray, you wanna rededicate your life to the Lord, you have something on your heart that you wanna say to God, this altar is gonna be open for you. And remember that when you build an altar in your life, go home and write it down so that you can remember it and that you don't forget it. Take this time. This is the time for you to go into prayer. Acknowledge this, this, this all-powerful being that we are talking about here in the beginning of Revelation. The description of who Jesus is. Jesus claiming to be, I am the first and the last. So if Jesus claims to be the first and the last, that makes him God. Because only God is beginning and end, alpha and omega. You know, uh, I believe that God's going to do big things right here at the Rivers Church in Yuba City. I've been believing that since I came in and sat with my wife in that back row where, where David and Caitlin and BB are sitting right now. 
Because when we showed up here, there was about 17 people. Dan was here, a few others were here. And you're all still here. And the difference between then and now is now we have a few new faces. And we also have people coming back to church and new faces. And this is what the body of believers do, we grow. Later on down the road, I'm gonna talk about multiplying each other. We're gonna talk about multiplying each other. Multiply yourself. Is there something that you do around here? Invite someone to church and train them up to do the same thing. We're gonna multiply each other. If everybody sitting in this room right here invited somebody to come to church and you began to multiply yourself into that person to do the same things that you would do, it would lighten your burden. It would make worship so much more effective. It would make your relationship with God feel less burdensome sometimes because we get because we make this stuff so difficult. We, we, we take what's so simple, the simple message of salvation, that I'm going to love the Lord my God, that I'm going to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to believe in my heart. That's all you have to do when you come through the door. That's all you have to do if you're sitting at home. That's all you have to do before you make it here. And once you do that, and you make Jesus the focus of your life, you're going to sin less, not become sinless. Remember I talked about that. That's the goal. Because when you sin less, you feel worthy. But you get defeated. You get defeated because you feel that it's so heavy. Make Jesus the focus. This is the image of Jesus that you need to image. Because Jesus is not in his old form that he was when he was put on the cross and taken down. Jesus now is in the form of what we just read in Revelation. That is the Jesus that you are praying to. That is the Jesus that you are counting on your salvation for. That is the Jesus that you and I and we as a local church, as a regional church, as a national church, and as a universal church around the world, that is the God that we worship. We all worship him. He's the same. And he just wants your heart. He just wants you to confess with your mouth about him and believe in him. And if you do that small, simple step, all these other things will continue to happen in your life. Whatever altar you need to build in your life, today is September 19th. Build a new altar in your life today. Don't know what it is. I don't know what you want it to be. Build that altar in your life. I'm going to open the altar for prayer. If you feel like coming up and praying and giving your life back to the Lord, rededicating, pouring out your heart, telling him what's going on, He's ready to meet you wherever you're at, even if you don't come out of your seat. I'm going to close the service right now with a prayer. The altar will be open. The worship team will play on. And when the song concludes, our service will end. And you can take home with what you've heard.